Welcome to Momentum Church. I want to get into today, we're looking at being the church. This whole series is Be the Church, and normally it's not the kind of series I would do going into um, summertime, but I felt like, man, it's a perfect time because those in the house of God in the summer, y'all serious. Amen? Because you could have been at Lake Lanier, you could have been at Alatoona, Bradshaw Farms, Golf Course, Sealy Postropedic, Bed, or a Lazy Boy, but you're in the house of God today. Come on. And so I want to be able to just bring some strong, if you will, challenges to us this summer as we continue in this Be the Church series. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of being empowered, being empowered. And um, last week, we were at camp, and if you enjoy camp, if you were at camp, we had a great time. Camp Momentum's first camp was a huge success. It was awesome. Nobody got hurt um, much. <coughs> got a little boo-boo. I'm still working right now, but, but um, it was such a good time. And, um, and, and I was doing stuff the whole time. Just, you know, just, you can, you can, this is a little fiddle, all right? So just, oh, everybody say, oh, pastor. So, you know, I'm helping everybody do things, and, and I wanted to get my fish on. I wanted to do it for me. I wanted my time, you know, in my boat, experiencing my thing. And so um, I went back on Monday, and we were supposed to be out by 3 on Monday. So I got everything back, delivered to families, and back to the church, and I went back on Monday. And I got in my kayak, but getting stuff done that morning took longer before I got back to camp. So now it's about 12, 12.30, and I got to be back by 3. That's checkout time. And, um, and so I had an idea. Brian Choate was there in his pontoon boat. And so I said, Brian, help a brother out. Actually, he volunteered. He goes, hey, you want me to tow you somewhere? I'm like, yeah. And so we hooked my, it was almost a catastrophe. It really was. We hooked my kayak to his pontoon boat, and he threatened the whole time to really gun it. And, I, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to flip. And we had actually hooked it in the wrong spot. So my boat started to splay out like this, and I'm trying to use my paddle to steer it back in. I'm like, Brian, you're going to flip us. And so we had to tie it off at a different spot, and it worked. Long story short, he takes me out, and right before he gets me to the mouth of the river where I wanted to fish, he runs out of gas. Now I'm faster than him. <laughs> and so, but he's prepared. He, he knows. He's a good boatsman. Is that what that's called, a boatsman? Uh, yeah, okay. So, a pontoor. <laughs> so the pontoor that he is, he um, had gas can already there, you know. So he's pushing the button, getting all the stuff, the squishy thing, in, and the gas is going in. And he starts back up. And, and they were making the joke that if it doesn't start, I'm going to have to take him back and tow them, you know. And that's not going to work. And so he leaves. And I watch him leave so fast. It was just like, he's gone that quick. So I get into my river. I'm sitting here fishing and fishing. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I probably should get headed back. Guys, I didn't realize being towed that far. I just didn't realize how far I was towed and how much effort it would take to get me back. I didn't get back in time. I had to go to the front. Dad, I'm so sorry. You know, do I owe you any more money? She's like, no. You know, just get out of our campground. And, 
but it took me, I mean, it, hour and 45 minutes. I don't know how long it was. It was just, I mean, I'm just paddling and paddling. It was so, what was the difference? You guys know the difference. It was a kayak that didn't have a motor. It was a kayak that didn't have power. It didn't have gas in the engine. Even that big pontoon boat, when the gas was dry, the pontoon boat did not go. Now, they could have. They could have taken a kid and held a kid overboard and just used the kid. They, they could have got there, but it would not have gotten there as efficiently, as powerfully, as quickly as it, the boat was intended to go. And so I just, when I think about the church, I feel like that's what the church is like sometimes. We're this amazing ship without gas. We're this amazing boat that God has in the water, and it's a ship of safety. It's a ship designed to say, come on, you guys are like Noah's Ark on planet Earth. Is that cool? Yeah. And you're, come on, welcome, come, come. But then it's like, there's no power. It's like a, 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 a Ferrari with a Volkswagen engine. No offense to either Ferrari or Volkswagens. You know, man, God wants us to be empowered. And so I want to look today at activating the power of God in our lives. Because I believe we need to move in his, everybody say power. power. And, and I know you've all seen the televangelist. I was, I was tempted to do my hair up real big today. <laughs> and come in saying, Power! You know, you've, I know you've all seen that. I get it, I get it. But there is something very real and very evident in Scripture that speaks about the power of God and God's expectation for his power to be at work in his church. And that's what we're going to look at today. When we talk about that power of God, we're speaking of God's strength. We're speaking of God's ability within us. We're speaking of his capacity and the increase of our capacity for him. We're speaking of dominion and authority. Do you know God wants you to walk in dominion and authority? But you gotta have power if you're gonna walk in dominion and authority. And I just believe that for too long, the church at whole, not, not you in particular, it's okay if I just kind of say the church at whole, on whole, for too long, the church on whole has lived below the provisions that God affords. For too long, the overcomer has been the overcome. For too long, the victor, the one that God has given the ability to have victory, they have been the defeated. For too long, the royalty of God, you, we have lived subservient to the influences and the powers of the kingdoms of this world. And I just feel like God wants to stir the church and awaken us from our sleep that we might say, okay, God, rest on us. Not that you'll rest on us and we'll get all greedy or rest on us and we'll get all prideful. Because we've seen that. We've seen God's hand move on people and next thing you know, they're greedy. We've seen God move on people and next thing you know, they're arrogant and prideful. No, God wants us to be people that he moves upon. And there's a sense of power and purpose in us. For too long, the church has been satisfied, sleeping satisfied missing out on moving in the authority and the anointing and the power of God. And so I just want to say today at the start of this teaching, and we're going to come to these altars later today. I'm just telling you where we're headed. We're going to come to these altars. And I just want to say, Holy Spirit, this is your house. Rest on us. Can you just put your hands like this? This is a great posture of reception. Just say, rest on us. Say it again. Say, rest on us. That's what we want, Jesus. This is your service, Lord. Have, have your way with us. In your name, Jesus, Amen. 
Let me take you back a little bit to Old Testament. Y'all know I love the Old Testament. And um, there's a man by the name of Samson. And, and you know Samson and the whole story of Samson. But the Lord was laying on my heart this week that Samson, I believe, is a type and shadow of the church. Okay? And let me just kind of unfold this for us a little bit. It's a type, and he's a type and a shadow of the church. Samson was set apart. He was set apart for a purpose. He was set apart to stand out. He was set apart to stand against, at that time it was the Philistines or the Midianites or different ones that would come against the nation of Israel. And he was set apart. He had a special anointing. There was a special strength that was upon him. Every time he lived in a set apart way, God would empower and strengthen him. He was, everybody say, set apart. Two weeks ago, Pastor Brantley preached on the church being a holy church. In other words, a set-apart church. And so I kind of see Samson's life as a story, a type and shadow of the church. Because in the early days, the church was set apart. The Holy Spirit came upon 120 people in an upper room. 120. That wasn't the 500 people that were at the ascension. That wasn't the 500. That was 120 that continued to say, we're set apart. That we're going to walk in what God's told us to walk in, the obedience of what he said, go wait in the city. We're going to stay here until what happens, happens. Until we are endued with power, as Jesus said. They, everybody say, set apart. They were set apart. Power of God touches them. There's an anointing upon them. Think of Samson. There's an anointing upon him. There's a blessing, a special touch of God upon Samson. And so the same way with the early church. Samson, oh my gosh, because he was anointed, the Bible said he would shake himself. I'm not saying everybody shake yourself. We've seen that before. You can shake and not be anointed. Amen. But sometimes God touches you and you shake. That happens sometimes. But the Bible says he would shake himself and come in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit or the strength of God. And when he would do that, the Bible says he killed a lion with his bare hands. Another time, he defeated a thousand Philistines by himself with the jawbone of a donkey. Man, that's powerful. This man was moving in power. Why? He was set apart and he was anointed. Don't miss it. Set apart and anointed. Now we go to the early church. That early church was set apart. Those 120 got touched. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And next thing you know, they begin to minister and preach the gospel. Peter, that first day, 3,000 people get saved. That, That sounds like a lion being killed. 3,000 people get saved. You start to see signs and wonders and miracles all through the book of Acts as that early church is set apart and moving with an anointing. That's what I see when I see Samson's life. But the sad thing is I also see the church on the other side of Samson's life. Because much like Samson, if you remember his story, he started playing around with the Philistines. He started chasing Philistine fillies. You know, because he thought they were looking fine. And he was chasing them. We had a guy in our church in Ohio, plowman. His name was Fred, plowboy, and a biker guy. And he used to say, Pastor Ross, he said, I'm praying for a good Christian girl. He said, I want a girl with a Hebrew heart. Sure wish she had a Philistine butt. (laughs) I was like, Fred, you're going to hell. Now, I would never say that, but he said that. That's what he said. He said, no, he said, I really do want a Jewish girl, if you will, a Christian. I want a Hebrew girl, but the Philistines look so good. And that, that's how Samson was, you know. And so he started playing around with the Philistines. And next thing you know, his heart is being given to a Delilah, a, a, a woman that represents the world, if you will. And he finds his head laying in the lap of Delilah. 
And here's the sad thing. I believe that's happening to the church today. There's a strong man called the church who has been persuaded into passivity. We have been lulled into laziness. If we're not careful, we're virtually on the brink of spiritual sleep as Satan sits back and sings us his little lullabies. And so I see Samson like a type of the church. His early days, set apart, anointed, doing great exploits, but his latter days, man, he was missing it because he was chasing the world. And he missed it, and he lost his power. And you know the end of the story. He got his power, his might back at the end, and he lost his life in bringing that final defeat to the Philistines. But, but I see the type and shadow in the early church, so powerful, so mighty, and now we're sleeping, if we're not careful, in the lap of Delilah. And you know, the, the thing about that is, Satan, he's not afraid of a weak church. You know, a, 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 a powerless people hold no threat to his agenda. But can we if, we, if we recognize there's a little Samson in us when it comes to our spiritual lives, if we recognize that, can we just like make a decision today to wipe the stinking sleep out of our eyes? You know? Like, like, wake up, O oh man of God. Wake up, O oh woman of God. Don't be satisfied with the lullabies of the world. Don't be satisfied in the lap of Delilah. Wake up, because God wants to put power back in his church for a reason. And we're going to get into this. And you're like, Pastor, you haven't preached much scripture. I haven't. I'm going to choke you on scripture here in a second. Amen? You know I love the word. And so we want to be those people that begin to move in the power that God promised would rest upon his church. The anointing that he separated us for to be able to be his representatives in the earth. And I've taught you this before. I can't go into everything about the Holy Spirit today. I think this week we'll link on our, 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 our momentum stuff. We'll link, um, we'll link um, some, a couple of the past sermons where we've really broke into a lot of the gifts of the Spirit and things that we taught deeply into. Today I just want to inspire us to realize we need a touch of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's kind of where I'm going. It's kind of a simple thing today. And so in the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit, when you start to look in the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit peppers every single page almost. And I believe that God desires for the church of Acts to be the church of the day. I don't believe that has ceased. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. In Acts 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire. And one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was this moment when they were set apart and anointed. Everybody say set apart. And say anointed. They were set apart and touched by the power of the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And I just believe that as a church, we should want that. And, and sometimes people will say, what kind of church are you, you know? And, and I would call us a Pentecostal church, you know? And some people are like, oh, that's scary, Pentecostal. When do the snakes come out? Fifth Sundays. <laughs> Just fifth Sundays, no. But I would say that we're a Pentecostal church. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit, what we see in the book of Acts and what we see in 1 Corinthians, that the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit continues today through God's people, just like it did during the book of Acts. We believe that in this house. Amen? Because of that, we have seen signs and wonders. We have seen miracles. We've seen people be empowered by the presence and per per person of the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that. And, and the truth of the matter, though, is whenever you hear that term Pentecostal, how many grew up? Like, Pentecostals were weird. 
Like, just be honest. It's my tribe, and we're weird. And so sometimes it was the idea that, that the Pentecostals, man, they were just different. And it's true. For, for half a decade, until about the 60s, from the early turn of the century to about the 60s, early 70s, the Pentecostal church was going to be the church across the railroad tracks, you know, over in that part of the city. It was going to be the church, if not across the tracks, downtown in a little storefront. And that's how it was. But there was something going on, because do not despise small beginnings. There was something going on, an undercurrent that God was bringing forth amongst these people that would just say, God, if you did it then, you can do it now. And God began to just expand the kingdom. I'm not saying the Pentecostal kingdom. I'm saying the kingdom of God. He just began to expand the kingdom at a rate that is mind-blowing. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will become a witness. And that witness got strong in the last century, and it's growing even stronger today. And you know, I'm not about numbers. I'm just saying now, some of the largest churches in the world would identify themselves as Pentecostal or charismatic. They would have those roots. And it's the fastest growing branch of Christianity in the world. Pastor, are you saying that just to like, like look at us? No, I'm saying that because I'm saying there's proof in the pudding. If the Holy Spirit said that he would pour out his spirit upon man, and that man, when that happens, would become a witness to me. And if we see that modeled in the book of Acts, as soon as that, da- that, that Peter that was one that was shy, and, 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 and not shy, but he, was, um, um, he, 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 he um, denied Jesus three times, and now, touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same people that he was denying to, he's standing there preaching boldly. And you see all through the book of Acts this boldness to be a witness. Man, God still desires that for today. And that, that's what I'm saying. A people, a church that would embrace yet again the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what's crazy. In the next 20 years, they say that there will be one billion people on the planet that have a Pentecostal charismatic expression in Christianity. That's crazy. It's about 650 million right now. And so that, that, that is, that's just that idea. And I'm going to talk a little bit here in a moment. Like, well, then why did not that happen all these years? Why, why now is all this stuff happening? Ah, there's a reason. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture, all right? And so why Pentecost, though? Just in general, why Pentecost? Like, like how many, uh, you've heard people called Pentecostal, and you want to know, like, where does that come from, Pentecostal? Well, it comes from the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost was the day that those 120 disciples of Jesus were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was literally the birthday of the church. It was on that day. But Pentecost was a Jewish festival. The Jewish festival, the name of it is Shavuot. And so it's a Jewish festival, and it's a harvest festival. There's two purposes for it. In, 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 in that time, there was the celebration of the early harvest of the year. It was a wheat harvest. And that would happen 50 days after Passover, which is basically seven weeks. 49 and then 50, seven weeks. And so they would actually call this also the Feast of Weeks. So if you ever hear the Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost. It's just Pente- Pentecost is more of a Greek name for it that shows up in the New Testament. But it's Shavuot. That's the Hebrew name, or Shavuot would be Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of Harvest because it's all about that first harvest. Now, it's a celebration of those early weeks of harvest in the year, but it's also a celebration of the giving of Torah. So when Moses came off Mount Sinai with the scriptures and brought the, the, the word to the people, it's a celebration of that. And I love this. That day that the word came to the people, 
all those years later when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, the Bible tells us in Scripture that there'll come a day when that word, that law, won't be written on tablets, but it'll be written upon your hearts. And that's when the Spirit comes and impacts you. And so it's so neat that on the day of Pentecost, that feast of weeks, that feast of harvest that they had celebrated for years and years, celebrating both the word and the harvest, it was so neat that that day of Pentecost celebrates the word and the harvest. Don't miss it, all right? Because the word gets on the inside when the Holy Spirit touches you. I'm telling you right now, when we struggle to live out the word, we're struggling to allow the Holy Spirit to have dominion over us. When we struggle to live out the word, we're struggling to be submitted, to allow his power to rest upon us. And so that word becomes life to us when the Holy Spirit comes and and impacts us. Second thing, 3,000 people got saved. Wouldn't you call that a harvest? Isn't that cool? So this celebration for 1,000 years sees a spiritual fulfillment on the day of Pentecost when that harvest of souls starts to come in. In the old times, in the day of Pentecost, the high priest, he would take two loaves of wheat bread and he would wave them as an offering before the Lord. And some theologians, you know what they say? They say that it means this, our high priest, Jesus, takes the Jewish nations, the Jewish people, and takes the Gentile people, and he offers them to the Lord because he's become a savior for all mankind, for all, amen? The spirit of God is for everyone. And he comes and he offers and waves that before his Lord because Jesus is our high priest. And so in Israel, I want to say one more thing about Pentecost. In Israel, you have an early harvest that comes during the months of May and June. That's, that's the day of Pentecost. But you also have a final harvest that comes in the fall. And I felt like the Lord was just saying, this is what I'm doing. There was an early harvest in the book of Acts where that, our, that Pentecost came. We celebrated it. The move of God showed up and the church began to move. And we saw it increase like no, never before. There was an early harvest. So why... All these centuries have gone by, and we haven't seen maybe as much, you think, teachings on the Holy Spirit until the last century. Well, it's not true. I have books and books and books of people that wrote in the Middle Ages and all through when the Holy Spirit would touch people. And, um, and I will say this. Can I say this? I have lots of literature on it. The Holy Spirit touches people. People get to move into the power of God, and then they get weird. And I'm not saying falling down is weird. We've had people slaying the Spirit here. I'm not saying speaking in tongues is weird. I'm not saying all that stuff is weird. Shaking on the power of God. You know, you put your finger in an outlet, you're going to react. And sometimes people touch, God touches you and you cry or you laugh or whatever. I'm not saying that's weird. I'm saying arrogance and pride and doctrinal weird things that puts the man of God in that position of, I am the anointed one. You guys don't have to worry, because you'll never let me get in that position. <laughs> I won't let myself either. And so, but, but it's just, that's how it's been through the centuries. But at the turn of the century, early 1900s, there was a lot of people that were looking at the book of Acts going, wait a second, the church has got off. We want what we see there. And as they begin to study it, they begin to realize there was a touch of the Holy Spirit that took place. And when the Holy Spirit touched people, then they begin to prophesy. When the Holy Spirit touched people, then they begin to speak in tongues. When the Holy Spirit touched people, then they begin to move in the leading of God to heal and, and such. And so they started saying, God, us, we want this touch of the Holy Spirit. We, want, we know that the Holy Spirit has indwelled us. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit becomes resident within you. And you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's something about the Holy Spirit when this 
baptism, this touch of the Holy Spirit comes that, that just overwhelms a person. Man, there's just something about it that marks a life to be used by God. And so they saw that, and they began to hunger and thirst for it. And so I believe that that final harvest, just like they would celebrate the early harvest, that's the book of Acts. I believe the last hundred years, and it's just going to start seeing more lives changed. I believe you're a part of the final harvest. I don't want to preach on this too much, because my last sermon in this series is called Be Ready. And we're going to look at the end times. But I do believe God is looking for his church to stop being Samson's and to start being powerful in him. Start to be used by him, to have a hunger, to be touched by him in a powerful way. And so if we're going to be that church, we have to, if we're, man, I got, I got sweat in my eyes, guys. I cannot see. If we're going to be that church, then we have got to understand the person of the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to understand the person of the power of the Holy Spirit, guess where we have to start? Jesus. We always start with Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't manifest to show himself. The Holy Spirit always shows up that Jesus might be seen and glorified. Amen? And so it's so neat to see that. Because what we're going to see here is how the Holy Spirit began to work in Jesus. And then later on, the Holy Spirit points back to Jesus. I love that. And guess what? It's the same way in your life. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you, and then it points back to Jesus, you know? And so John 1, let's, let's, I'm going to have you stand. I like to stand to read at least one scripture on a Sunday, just to honor God's word. John 1, 29 through 34, I've got a lot of scriptures, and, and I'm going to hit these, and I promise you I'm not going to preach real long, but I'm thinking, because I want to get to the altars. I, wanna, I just want to be open to what God wants to do in here. And so just bear with me as I clip through these. So here, we're going to talk about Jesus. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, but he comes, he was before me. I myself do not know him, but for his purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Watch. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. You catch that? It wasn't a momentary touch. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, and it says it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So not only does the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus, it says this is the one who in the future will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Not water, the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Go ahead and have your seats. <clears throat> and so now we see that this Holy Spirit, I'm going to get back to that with Jesus in a moment, but the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' life, and then Jesus is going to become the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he touches us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This is what he told his early disciples right before, this is that weekend of Pentecost. Don't leave. Don't leave. Actually, this is 10 days before that. Don't leave. And so for 10 days, they're hanging out. They're just waiting in Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Wait for the promise which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's going to be a, a touch that comes upon you. Just hang in there. That promise is coming. 
Acts 1.8, what's the purpose of that? Because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I believe that, that the, the movement of God in the last 120 years that we've seen with people that have just said, okay, Lord, I see it in the book of Acts, use me now. We have seen such an increase of the kingdom of God across the world. I think it's a testament of this scripture. And what's wild is the last words we hear from Jesus, they're don't leave Jerusalem, but wait until you receive the power from the Holy Spirit. I can almost see the disciples being like, but master, the world's lost. No, no, I don't care. Not that I don't care, but go wait. But, but, but master, the, Lord, the world's hungry. I mean, we need to go feed them. No, no, go wait. There's need, go wait. Uh, there's people that need to hear the gospel, your message. Go wait. Why? Because trying to attempt divine work without divine power doesn't work. Why didn't Jesus just give it to him right then? He did. Remember when he blew on them, his disciples, and they got touched by the Holy Spirit, said, and then they went out and they began to do ministry. You know, why didn't he just do that? No, because he wanted this. Whole, he wanted the person of the Holy Spirit to rest upon them and to baptize them. To bring such a change, such a difference in them that they would begin to move in the power and unction and authority of God. And so, yeah, they may have wanted to take off and go preach and change the world, but Jesus said, go wait. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and empowered them. What does that word empower mean? I'm going to put some definitions up. To give authority or power to do something. I can't tell you how many times in my life there's been weakness and the Holy Spirit has brought the, the, the measure, the gap. He's drawn it together to, 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 to bridge the gap of weakness in my life. You know? Weakness, whether it's ability. Weakness, whether it was understanding. It was the Holy Spirit that made that difference. Empowered to make someone stronger, more confident, especially in controlling their life and claiming their rights. God wants to empower you. You have certain rights that he's given you. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes in your life, you start to realize, wait a second, that marked for that. I'm set apart to walk in that. I'm set apart to move in that. And not to get arrogant, but to get real humble before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you deem me worthy to walk in your anointing. You deem me worthy to be used by you. Now, there are people in the world who will say all the things you see in the book of Acts stay in the book of Acts. And that, those are called cessationists. That, that, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the moving of God, like you see in the book of Acts, those things ceased, they're cessationists, they ceased with the early apostles. And when the apostles died, all those things died. And they'll use 1 Corinthians as a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about if there's tongues, they'll cease. And whether there's prophecy, they'll cease. And it says, when that which is perfect comes, those things will cease. And for the cessationists, they believe the scripture is that which is perfect. And when the scriptures came, we didn't need all the move of God anymore. Well, we know that which is perfect is Jesus. Amen? There's nothing else perfect in the world. I'm not saying the scripture is not inspired and infallible. It is, but Jesus is the word of life. He's perfect. And until Jesus comes back, guess what? We need to be used by him to make differences in the world. 
And so the fruit of the Spirit I've taught you before is the character of God at work in us, but the gifts of the Spirit is the power of God at work in us. He wants both at work in our lives. And so as long as there is need of healing, there'll be gifts of healing. As long as there are needs of, of wisdom and word of knowledge, God will bring forth wisdom and word of knowledge as he deems. I'm not going to get into that too much today. And so we're not cessationists. Those are those that hold that the gifts of the Holy Spirit cease with the apostolic, apostolic age. We would be considered continuationism or continuationist, that we believe it's continued. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued to the present age. But there's people, because of that teaching, has been so a part of the church, they come to the things of the Holy Spirit, kind of like you go to an ice cream shop. You know, and it's like, I really like my ice cream, Josh. I love my ice cream, you know. But... I don't want nuts, and I want two cherries, and I want this, and I want that, but I don't put the, the syrup on that, and I want, and we build our Sunday the way we want to build our Sunday, and if the Holy Spirit is one of those ingredients, rather than realizing, you know, he's the third part of the Trinity, he's God all by himself as well, but if he's just another ingredient, then he can be the nuts on my Sunday or not. And I got to thinking about that, you know? We want our Sunday the way we want our Sunday. Well, can I tell you something right now? God wants his Sunday the way he wants his Sunday. <laughs> I'm talking about the house of God Sunday, like church. He wants to be able to touch his people if he desires, amen? And so we're not cessationists. We're continuationists. We believe that God continues to move in these things. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk us through. This is really fun. Because some of you, you'll look at things that Jesus did in Scripture, and you'll be like, of course that's why he could do it. He was God. And I want to talk about the anointing that rests upon Jesus. And then we're going to look at the anointing that rests upon the church and us, okay? But let's go back to Jesus first. Because remember the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained upon him? Remember that? And so the anointing that came and rested upon Jesus, in order to understand who Jesus was, you've got to understand a term. And I'm going to give you this term hypostatic union. Everybody say it, hypostatic union. And so the hypostatic union, this is kind of who Jesus, how he, his essence is. It's the union of Christ's humanity and his divinity into one hypostasis, all right, and personhood. Like it's, it's he is one, but he's divine and he's human. Now, I will say this, he's one, but he ain't one like anything else ever has been in this whole world ever, all right? He is, he is all by himself. He's God Almighty. But he was 100% man and 100% God. And so when he was in the earth, he was both fully God and fully man. And with that, the Bible tells us in Philippians that he chose to divest himself. He divested himself. He never stopped being God, okay? But he divested himself of his authority, of his royalty. He divested himself of his abilities. He divested himself of his anointing as God. And you don't see him doing ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him and remained upon him. Then it says that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. He didn't lead himself. The Spirit led him. But he's Jesus. He's God. I know. But in the earth, he became like us even to the degree that he divested himself of the anointing of God. And he had to walk in the anointing. He had to go to prayer as well and seek the Father for the Father's will. You ever wonder why? He's God. He, was, he had to seek the Father just like you. He had to hear from the Spirit just like you. He had to be touched by the Spirit just like you. Amen? And so that's the hypostatic union. And we have been 
taught for years, and, and it, it causes us to step away from our responsibility. You know, it's like, well, Jesus is divine, and so that's Jesus. Well, no, no. He says that he wants us to be like him. He even said, greater things you'll do in the earth than I've done. That blows my mind. And, I, and don't come to that with a haughtiness. Come to that with a brokenness, a humility. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Doesn't it make sense then? Apart from your Holy Spirit, we can't do it. Apart from that touch of God, that, that ongoing relationship and communication with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, we can't accomplish it. Yeah, yeah. And so Luke 4, let's just talk about Jesus some more. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Look, Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned. This is after the 40 days of the wilderness. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. So the Spirit leads him in, and the Spirit brings him back out with power. Verse 18, Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord. Jesus goes into the, to the, the synagogue and begins to read this scripture. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Do you catch that? It wasn't, I have realized my Messiahship at this age of point of my life, and now I'm walking in the ministry of my Messiahship. No, no. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so that anointing was upon Jesus. We see it in the book of Acts 10, 34 through 38. When Peter opened his mouth, he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Remember, that was the moment when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, that carpenter from Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Isn't that wild? Jesus really was, like, in all ways, like us. Still God, but he divested himself of all that, that he could relate to us. And if Jesus needed the anointing, and the power of God to do what God had called him to do. So do we. And God does desire for us to do. Amen? Yeah, if you remember, the scriptures will call the Holy Spirit the great helper. He is the great helper. He is not the great doer. Don't miss that. Why? Because he always does things through a body. He did it through Jesus' body. And he still wants to do all he wants to do in, in our world through his body. We're the body of Christ now. And so he wants to move in us. And so you may at times feel like, I wish God would speak to that person. Well, get anointed by God and get the word the Lord wants you to say and go speak to him yourself. Amen? I wish God would. I wish God, I wish. God's like, I'm ready. I will anoint you and touch you. Just come hungry and humble and then go move in my gifts and make that difference that you desire in that person's life. I'm waiting on you, God. And God's like, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to embrace this need of me. And I will pour out my spirit upon you and you will be used by me in a mighty way. 
Let me go into the, the part of the, 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 the Mark 16, 14 through 18. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven himself. This is right after he had um, risen. As they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then he says, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to speak in tongues. They're going to pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That's the commission that was placed upon us to be able to move in his power. Luke 3, 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. That's Jesus, whose strap of his sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And so God has this desire to touch us with the baptism, with the touch of his Holy Spirit. He desires to rest upon the church and to anoint the church. If we, like Samson, will get out of the lap of Delilah, shake ourselves and say, God, I'm ready to walk in the calling you have for me. The Holy Spirit comes when we live in expectation. The Holy Spirit comes when we have the fruit of expectation. We can't expect God to move. God, I'm expecting you to move. But I don't care you put your finger on this in my life and said, stop this. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to stop that. We can't have expectation without fruit of expectation. And the fruit of expectation is, God, I want to be obedient to you. Oh, I'm not saying you won't struggle. But there's things he's saying. It's time to get out of the lap of Delilah. There's things he's saying. It's time to stop playing around with the Philistines. It's time to stop leaning so close to the world. It's time. And God is saying that. And he'll strengthen you. That's fruit of expectation, obedience. Surrender is a fruit of expectation. God, I, I want you to move, but, but Ross, it's 11.03. And I really was glad church was going to be over early today because of the two services. And so I, I no, I'm not going to guilt you to stay. I'm not. I'm just saying that idea that might, like, I'm not going to make time for God, whether it's today or some other time. I'm not going to surrender, but I'm expecting, but I'm not going to surrender anything, you know. I'm expecting, but I satisfy my spiritual hunger with so many other useless things but i'm expecting no there's a fruit to expectation and so we see those moving in the fruit of expectation on the day of pentecost i've already kind of spoke to this but i want to say it one more time when the day of pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord there was unity there was hunger and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and I'm not going to say that you're going to hear a rushing wind today. I'm not going to say you're not. I was in a church service by myself, not by myself, but praying by myself. Where Pastor Brian's at, I was under the this, this seat almost, just praying. And all of a sudden, I heard the rushing mighty wind. And as a 21-year-old, 20, it, it scared me. It was good, but it was like, whoa, this is real. God, you're real. So I don't know what God is going to do in here. I just know he desires to come upon us and to sit upon each of us to empower us for his purpose. And I know it's for every one of us in this room because Joel 2, 28 through 29, one of the old prophecies regarding the moving of the Holy Spirit, it says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Aren't you glad, women, you can prophesy too? I know, I know there's some movements that don't feel women can talk in church. We are not that movement, amen? 
And so your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. Just that idea that nobody, <clears throat> nobody is, 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 is separate from what God desires. He wants to touch every single person. And we got to see that this week with our youth at camp. Let's stand to our feet. Our youth at camp this week, Pastor Tyler shared with me that they had th- nine rededications. I love this. Three students baptized in the Holy Spirit, two students called into ministry, and one young lady who has had to wear a brace for like two years because of an ankle injury, healed of an injury that is limited for two years. Amen? Amen. One, one, one of the kids felt that his calling to ministry is worship ministry. And I see that little guy, and man, he goes after God in worship. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, you know. Another kid feels called to New Zealand. Isn't that neat? New Zealand, you know. One kid, you know, it's, it's Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts. One kid feels called to just touch his school. That's Jerusalem. Guess what, kids? You'll do that when you're touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. A whole lot easier moving within our own abilities. Hmm. And then one young boy, he was weeping at the altars. And suddenly it says he was filled with joy of the Spirit. And he couldn't even cry. He was baptized in the Spirit. Later he felt like God was telling him that the things they're going through with his family may be difficult now, but they're going to laugh again. See, the Holy Spirit rested upon our youth this week. The Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus and anointed him for his work. The Holy Spirit rested upon the early church on that day of Pentecost. And that wasn't a one-time resting. If you look in Scripture, you'll see a couple more times in Acts that they came together again and prayed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them again. It wasn't just a one-time experience that started the church. No, no. It started the church, but they would come back for a refilling, a touch of God fresh again. That's what we're going to do today. Because the Holy Spirit's looking for a place to rest. Amen? The Holy Spirit's looking for a place to rest. Will he get to rest on you? Amen? So what I want to do, I want to go into worship. And um, we're, not going to, we're not going to dismiss today. We're just going to fade away when, when, when it's time. We'll just fade away. Amen? And, um, <clears throat> and so <clears throat> we're just going back into worship. And, and I, just, I kind of want to do something bold. I, I just want to say, if you want touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, like you're officially saying, God, I want to be baptized. I want to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to tell God what that's going to look like. That's up to God. Amen? But if that's something you're saying, God, I want, while we're worshiping today, I just want you to come and line up here at the altar, and we're just going to pray. And for some people, God's going to touch you today. For some people, God's going to start a hunger in you and continuing to touch you. For some people, you may even leave going, okay, God, you showed me things I need to shift in my life to repair my heart for what you want to do. I, I don't know what God's going to do, but I know he wants to touch us today. I also want this to be an altar time to be able to move in the, what Jesus did. He healed the oppressed. He healed the sick. He touched those who are in need. Amen? And so as people come, if you have a need today too, come up here, all right? And so if you have a need, we just know the Holy Spirit is at work today. We want you to come up. Or if you want to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, come up as well. So let's worship the Lord and let God do what God desires. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.
www.momentumchurch.tv.